Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I to this guy for wisdom. All right, well, folks, I won't, I won't bore you, you know, although it would be fascinating to share with you the mountains that had to be moved to bring you this show today, and that's thanks to the captain. Uh, uh, what, a, what a day, but as consummate professionals, we pressed forward, we made it work, and uh, we're going to continue. I will not be uh, flustered here. Uh, you know, I, I learned today, as perhaps many of you did, that the Democrats have found a new way to use the word amnesty, right? Until today, amnesty was exclusively reserved for discussing, you know, illegal immigrants, right? Making them future Democrat voters by granting them citizenship. Well, there's a new definition. It's uh, it's COVID amnesty, COVID amnesty. Now, before telling you whether I have made a decision whether to go forward with this COVID amnesty or not, uh, we'll just go through this. Uh, what exactly they're proposing. And I think together we'll dis- decide on the same answer uh, to these leftists. So firstly, they don't want COVID amnesty. Th- that's a lie. What they really want is COVID amnesia is what I would call it. That's a more accurate description for it. Uh, because look, what did we learn about these leftists in COVID, throughout COVID, right? They, they exposed themselves as tyrants, amoral individuals who, uh, I mean, the, the things they said about us, the way they attacked us, the harm they did telling us we couldn't go to work and not to mention all of the horrible words. You know, there was a throughout the pandemic, you know, there are these studies coming out, these polls, and a majority of Democrats wanted to see the vaccinated, uh, unvaccinated, I should say, under house arrest. They wished harm upon the unvaccinated. They wanted to segregate society. So anyway, now now uh, Americans have woken up in response to what they did with COVID. Obviously, the Democrats are facing annihilation at the polls and the midterms coming up, and they're the ones who went to war with the American people. Let, let's 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 get that clear. We did not go to war. Uh, the left went to war with America and with us. They hate the country. They hate you and me. Uh, they want to destroy this country, bring it burning to the ground so they can rebuild this dystopia, right, to rebuild what existed before the United States of America. They want to reverse engineer it. That's all what COVID, that's what COVID was about. That is exactly what climate change is about. It all leads to one thing, and that's tyranny, right? We the, we the people are the master in this country, and they're our servants. Well, they don't like that. They don't like the Constitution. They don't like having limits put on them. They don't like us thinking freely. They don't like us uh, acting freely. Uh, they just want to control all of us. So here's the thing. The left has finally figured out, and I guess we figured out at the same time, well, they can't win a war against the American people. I know this is this is news to Joe Biden, who says that we need F-15s and you know nuclear weapons to to take back the country. Nonsense. We need midterm elections and we need uh, enthusiasm and passion and love for this country. And that runs through all of our blood. All of us who immigrated here. Right. We all have uh, uh, the spirit of patriotism that we have inherited from uh, our ancestors and posterity. And it is our time to rise up and fight for this country, to defend liberty and ensure that our posterity uh, uh, gets to enjoy uh, the greatest experiment in human history, which is this country. So look, we outnumber the left and their success and power was always derived from our refusal to fight back, our complacency 
And, and for many people, they're ignorance, right? They believe that these tyrants had good intentions, and now that's out the window. It's out the door. It's, it's not credible anymore. People realize who they're dealing with. And they're the ruling minority, and, um, and, and we are the, 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 the majority here. And, and we, are, we are speaking up, we're fighting back, and we are going to, um, to uh, politically end the Democratic Party here. And I'm going to address this in a little bit with the Paul Pelosi story, because, look, the Democrats, they want to act, look, they expose themselves, right? You know, if they were vampires, you know, hanging out amongst the people, uh, and they never showed us their fangs, you know, they were sniffing our necks like Joe Biden sniffs young girl's hair, you know, but we weren't quite on to them. Well, we saw their fangs and they bit our necks. And now they want us to forget about it. All right. So uh, they want this COVID amnesty, they're calling it. And here's the thing about it, right? They're, they're not even actually asking for forgiveness. You know, it would be one thing for them to grovel at our feet, apologize and beg us to forgive them and move forward. But that's not what they're doing. This COVID amnesty uh, they're suggesting that we are equally, we're all uh, equally bear the blame of this. So let, let me explain this. They abused us, right? They condemned us. They attacked us. Uh, they put us out of work. They did irreparable harm to our children, our families. And now, and now they just want to pretend like it didn't happen. Um, and I'll get to this article. It stems from the Atlantic, I believe, is where these talking points came from, from the left. But notice they want amnesty here, right? They just want a fresh start. They say, oh, look, you know, we all made mistakes with COVID because we didn't know about nonsense. You didn't know. We all we knew we were we were right the entire time throughout the pandemic. And you wanted to punish us. Now, notice they want amnesty with this latest power grab COVID, which was a form of slavery. Uh, you couldn't go to the beach. You, you couldn't leave your homes. Essentially, in most circumstances, especially in these blue states like California, where I live, you couldn't go to dinner. You couldn't go to work. We were living on the plantation. And now notice they don't have, uh, uh, they don't want us to forget about uh, slavery in America, right? Isn't this ironic? COVID, right? This just happened recently. Um, one of the, the I mean, in, in American history, just will go down as one of the most fundamentally un-American experiments that has ever taken place here. And they just want us to forget it. But slavery is something that none of us experienced. And certainly none of us who are Republicans participated in because that was the Democratic Party that was all about slavery. The Democratic Party who was all about Jim Crow. The Democratic Party who still is racist. Well, they, you know, we just can't forget about slavery in America. I mean, can I ask you a question? Who do these people think they are? Who do they think they are? I, you know... Just to make a historical analogy here, you know, I was thinking about, you know, Neville Chamberlain back, I think it was 1938, right before World War II break out, broke out. Neville Chamberlain. So Hitler, you know, kind of like Putin today, you know, he's eyeing Czechoslovakia. He's got troops on the board of Czechoslovakia. And Neville Chamberlain, to avoid war, to deter Adolf Hitler, flies to Germany. And they sign an agreement. And uh, Hitler tells Neville Chamberlain, you know, I swear on this piece of paper that if you just give me the territory I seek in Czechoslovakia, no war. Neville Chamberlain signs the little document, goes back home to Britain, declares peace in his time, in their time, in our time. And what happens? Six months later, he takes Czechoslovakia, goes to Poland, World War II breaks out. 
No, no, we know who these people are. We're not underestimating them. We're not, we're not pulling a Neville Chamberlain here. We know who we're dealing with. No, 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 no. I guess I've arrived at my conclusion, right? Uh, hell no to your amnesty. So here's the title of the, the headline. Let's declare a pandemic amnesty. Subheadline. Ready for this? Ready for this? Think about who's saying this. This is, uh, you know, Hitler in, uh, in Germany. I'll say, we need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about co what, what hold on hold on we need to forgive one another for what we did and we said when we were in the dark about covid i beg your pardon we, who is we there's you the abuser and then there are the countless victims the truth tellers we don't need to forgive each other we have no apology to make I mean, this is like the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor and then saying, you know, hey, Americans, the Japanese, we just need to forgive. We just need to forgive one another. No, you started this. Uh, I just, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, this, I love this in one respect because the Democrats just keep digging themselves a deeper grave. I mean, this is the hubris I talk about. So here we go. Okay. In April 2020, the article says, uh, with nothing else to do, this is uh, someone describing, you know, their, their COVID experience. They're the ones proposing amnesty. In April 2020, with nothing else to do, my family took an enormous number of hikes. We all wore cloth masks that I had made myself. We had a family hand signal, which the person in the, in the front would use if someone was approaching on the trail and we need to put on our masks. Once, when another child got too close to my then four-year-old son on a bridge, he yelled at her, social distancing. I know these people because where I live in the Napa Valley, generally speaking, uh, my wife and I would also go on hikes. And we went on a hike, well, several hikes, and I saw this, my wife and I, no mask on our face, of course, hiking on this trail up the mountainside. And as we approached these gaggles of masked families, like this person with their children, they would yell, you know, incoming, you know, like, uh, like it's, uh, you know, a bombing happening in, in, in London. And I would just turn to my wife and said, I mean, I can't believe these people live like this. Hey, do, do whatever you want. But the problem was those people weren't willing to let us live as we wanted. And it turns out they were all wrong, all wrong. So this communist at the nation goes on and says, these precautions were totally misguided. In April 2020, no one got the coronavirus from passing someone else hiking. Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare. Our cloth masks made out of old bandanas wouldn't have done anything anyway. But the thing is, we didn't. No, we didn't know. We, I knew, tens of millions knew. And, and when we said that it was unscientific, when we said what you were doing was stupid, you called us a death cult. You condemned us. You called us un-American, unpatriotic. You wished us harm. You wished us death. I had lifelong friends, Democrats, this isn't a pity story. I'm just telling you. I know who these people are, and you do too, after COVID. They all showed themselves, and now we deal with them differently. We're not going to sign a piece of paper that says, uh, oh, yeah, you promised to be nice to us 
if we just forget all this happened? No, no, no. You're already on to the next thing. You're already, and this whole episode, the Paul Pelosi stuff, we'll play a lot of clips here of Democrats, what they think of us. The same people that are here saying COVID amnesty are still out there calling us domestic terrorists. Nah, trying to censor us, trying to punish us, wishing us harm. Nah, nah, not me. I'm enlightened. You know, but anyway, the point is, you know, I had these lifelong friends and I'd call this nonsense out. I'd say these masks are ridiculous. I'd say it's, you know, unbelievable that somebody would mask their child. And I would get these messages from people I knew. People I knew. You know, calling me all sorts of names, cursing me out. Because, well, I was a member of the death cult, right? Because what was I saying? These crazy things like, you know, these lockdowns are doing more harm than good. You know, these lockdowns don't make sense. It's really bizarre that you can tell people they can't dine outdoors at a restaurant, but then these cities are sitting tables outside on public streets and encouraging you to order your food to go and then seat yourself out these outdoor Is that not outdoor dining? Oh, but you know me, you know me, I was just, I was a big conspiracy theorist back then, I guess. And so were the conspiracy theorists, you know, the epidemiologists, esteemed ones from Stanford, from Harvard, from Oxford. They wrote the great Barrington Declaration early on. Esteemed epidemiologists at the, at the, the most, you know, I mean, you're Harvard, Stanford, Oxford, okay? I mean, aren't those the ones where you get your street cred if you're a dem? So these guys were saying, hey, this stuff doesn't work. We need to do targeted stuff, just protect the vulnerable. And, you know, Fauci, uh, Collins, you know, the, those at the, at the government institutions there, disease control. Well, they sent an email, emails back and forth that said, we need to silence these guys. We need to discredit these guys. And they were right. And we were all right. So, you know, they turned the country against us. They got people fired from their jobs for not getting the fake vaccine. They celebrated the suffering of people who actually did know and spoke out against the mandates. They kicked them off Twitter and celebrated their censorship, celebrated their cancellation. Gina Carano was canceled for making an astute observation that the political climate in America was looking a lot like the hostility towards Jews prior to the Holocaust. She was right, but she was canceled. She lost her job. So she, she gives one other example. She says, um, Los Angeles County closed its beaches in summer 2020. Ex post facto, this makes no more sense than my family's masking hiking trips. Mass hiking trips. But we need to learn from our mistakes and then let them go. There's the we again. We need to learn from, you know, this is like the Democratic Party and slavery, by the way. We need to get over slavery. We need to address race. No, 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 no. Your party has issues with racism. The Republican Party was doing just fine, right? You know, we died, right? You know, we sacrificed our lives uh, to end slavery. We fought tooth and nail. But you guys imposed Jim Crow. You imposed welfare once Jim Crow was gone to keep blacks down. You still do it. When a black person, God forbid, has success in the Republican Party, you call them Uncle Toms? We? No, no. You need history lessons. You need uh, lessons in morality. You need therapy. You need a, a heart transplant in the sense that you take this rotten thing that's inside you that just seeks to punish people, hurt people, that hates people. You need to take that out and replace it with something good, decent, and moral. That's what needs to happen.
Of course, Randy Weingarten is all on board with this, right? This is great. Randy Weingarten, right? The proponent, the person who colluded to keep schools shut down, colluded with the CDC and told them what was scientific, right? The CDC is going to lift mask mandates at schools. <clears throat> Weingarten, I mean, uh, Randy Weingarten and these other folks, they come in and say, hey, no, no, no. We really need to keep the mask mandates going. Make sure you put that in the next memo. And they do it. Anyway, I, I just, you know, the reason they're pushing this amnesty, right, is because they're losing. They got caught. You know where we are right now? We are in, we, this is Gettysburg. All right. I'm, I'm, this is where we are at the Battle of Gettysburg. And they know what happens right now is very significant to determining the future of the country and the future of the Democratic Party and their future power. They have won a lot of battles. They really have. We have to admit it. But the midterms are here and they're facing political annihilation, a reckoning. And so here they are. Oh, no, no, no. Look, we're, we, we, we should all, you know, just hug each other. We didn't mean it. Uh, cue up cut 10, Captain. So here we go. We got, um, we got the Democrats now, you know, who destroyed people's lives, expressed all this hatred and animosity. And now they want to, uh, they, they think that all of us, you know, need to just come together. Kumbaya, kumbaya. But they haven't changed at all. Go ahead and play cut 10. These are the same people asking for COVID amnesty. These are the people. What do you mean by semi-fascism, sir? In December, you will... You know what I mean. And we have to start calling his supporters supporters racist as well. That MAGA, uh, had, that MAGA symbol has come to represent something. It is the new Nazi symbol. It is the new uh, hood. Because it's not a party, right? They're Sinn Féin to the IRA. They're, they're the PLO to Hamas. They're a dime store front for a terrorist movement. The Republican Party is basically a domestic terrorist cell at this point. And they should be treated as such. There are elements of the GOP that are starting to look like the jihadists. Not a political party. They're a white nationalist movement. They're a fascist threat to our nation. That's not hyperbolic. That's academic. Would have once seemed hyperbolic, but it increasingly does feel like the Republican Party has become a death cult. And it's all about Donald Trump. There is no alternative right now because the Republican Party project today is a fascist authoritarian project. Fact is, Republicans in Congress are still in the grip of the ultra-MAGA agenda. Party of dupes, uh, party of knuckleheads, party of weirdos, party of freaks. So that, that, that is a simple, simple message. And on, underneath that, it's the party of nothing. It has become an authoritarian embracing cult. Uh, it is fascist. We take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution uh, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue with their allies in the Congress of the United States. Right. Lovely. Let's, uh, let's just have kumbaya and let's just have a little COVID amnesty with those very people. Those very people who are still making those claims, uh, who are creating an us versus them atmosphere. And here's the thing. This is the difference, I will say. Because, yes, do I rail against the left? Do I talk about their policies? Do I talk about their amorality? I do. <clears throat> I do. Um, but, you know, from the conservative standpoint, we can separate an individual from his or her politics, right? So in terms of the average American voter out there, I say we've got a lot of work to do. They've been indoctrinated. They've been taught something that's untrue. And look, those people are coming around right now. They're coming around. And we do not talk about the left like this. We do not. With broad brushstrokes like this, 
You know, the Democrats in this country, you know, they're a bunch of uh, domestic. No, no, no. There's specific groups that are and so on and so forth. But I'm sorry, you know, we here we are. They they started a war. I know, you know, only Democrats are supposed to use that word. But, you know, we have this political war in America right now. And they're losing. And we have the momentum. And they just want to wish it away. They want to wish it away. Um, so look, you heard the projection there, you know, they essentially, right. I mean, we're the fascists here, right? We're this and that, you know, it was us who were promoting freedom throughout COVID. It was them who wanted to enslave us. It was them who denied the science. It was them who invented and fabricated, uh, information that colluded, that censored information, uh, all for the ex express, express purpose of, uh, of, of a one size all solution, right? Which was to shut us down and control our lives. And now after they've done all that, I mean, think about this. There are young children who committed suicide. There's substance abuse. Our economy still has not recovered. Uh, we have inflation now because of it. And all of this is, look, yes, I mean, a lot of this is, is Democrat Party policies in general, but it's the lockdowns. It's the COVID policies that have gotten us here. And they just... Want us to forget that that happened? All right. So we've got the left now on their newest um, endeavor here, which is, you know, look, they've been trying to tie because they're desperate. Okay. They're desperate right now. Uh, they have nothing. People are rejecting them. The economy is in shambles. You know, parents are pushing back for parental rights. They're just sick of what the, everyone understands the company is going, you know, down the toilet under the Democratic Party. They're tired of being lied to, but that doesn't stop the Democrats from lying. So, you know, as we approach midterms, conveniently, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Paul Pelosi was attacked in his home. That's that's what happened, okay? He had to go to the hospital. He was hit in the head with a hammer by um, a man who was a, a you know, Berkeley nudist. He was also an illegal immigrant, by the way. He was an illegal alien. No, he wasn't from the southern border. He crossed over from Canada. And there are a million ways this headline could go, you know. Illegal alien breaks into uh, Pelosi's house. Illegal alien somehow gets past a private security guard and breaks into Paul Pelosi's I mean, there are a lot of ways to tell this, this narrative here. Um, but, you know, the one the Democrats have settled on, and the point is they're fabricating it. They're fabricating it. And we're not allowed to ask questions. The narrative they're telling is what? Oh, this guy, you know, was somehow, it's like Trump incited an insurrection. Well, uh, DePoppy is this guy's last name is DePoppy. You know, he was incited to violence by Donald Trump as well. I mean, these people. Well, you know, Hillary Clinton would call them deplorables, but, you know, I, I am better than that. So I will not do that. So they're accusing me right now. All right, I, we, are, we are engaging in a massive conspiracy theory right now. I just want to prepare yourself, prepare yourself. All right. So we're going to run through this timeline. I've got some big things to point out because the biggest takeaway from uh, this Pelosi story is actually with regards to the FBI agent who signed off and drafted, submitted the affidavit. All right. She, this FBI agent, reveals how the FBI has been tasked, form these task forces who are devoted to finding instances, air quotes, 
of far-right domestic terrorism and creating creating the image, creating the uh, perception that that exists in the country. All right? That's the takeaway here. We'll get to it in a minute. So, look, the um, San Francisco Police Department, they insist right now that there were only two people inside the Pelosi home, Paul Pelosi and DePapi, when they responded to that call. Now, this is clarifying statements made at the press conference on Friday, which indicated clearly that there was a third person involved. So let me let me just walk you through this. All right. On Friday, the San Francisco police chief, Bill Scott, he gives a press conference and he reports that there was a third person in that home when the police arrived. When This is the quote. When the officers arrived and knocked at the front door of the residence this morning, the door was opened by someone inside. And the officers obser- observed through the open door, Mr. Pelosi and the suspect, Mr. DePapi, inside the entryway. So the door was opened and they observed DePapi and, uh, and Pelosi fighting over this hammer. This is the police chief. It seems to me there's a pretty significant difference between two people and three people. That's a pretty big piece of information to get wrong and then have to go back on. Right? But they won't release body cam footage either, by the way. The San Francisco PD, you know, they they release it immediately with any other case, but now they refuse to release the body cam footage. They will not be transparent. So now you've got them saying, we want to make it clear there were only two people in the home. They want to make that clear. Don't ask questions. There were two people. Now, here's the thing. Guess who's involved in rewriting or crafting this narrative of, of MAGA you know, extremism? The FBI. They're really reliable, right? They, they would never, I don't know, lie about anything. They would never alter any information to get FISA warrants. You know, they would never, you know, engage in some coup attempt, you know, like Trump-Russia collusion. They would never do anything like that, right? They wouldn't raid Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. No, no, the FBI is is a great organization. Great organization. All right, so look, San Francisco officers responded to this 911 call from Paul Pelosi in the early hours of Friday. And they saw, you know, uh, DePapi and Pelosi, each with a hand on the same hammer. Um, let, Let me get through, let's do it this way. All right. A witness uh, told officers after the fact that he saw a person wearing all black and carrying a large black bag walking near the Pelosi residence. This is the one witness, right, that's in the affidavit. Paul Pelosi, uh, meanwhile, said that he was asleep when DePapi entered the bedroom and said he wanted to talk to Nancy Pelosi. DePapi said he, he, he would wait even after Paul Pelosi said his wife would not be home for several days. All right, so here's the timeline. On October 28th, at 2.23 a.m., uh, San Francisco dispatcher gets a 911 call from Paul Pelosi. Paul Pelosi, you've heard this. Tucker's talked about it. Everybody's talked about it. He says there's a male in the home. He says he doesn't know who the male is, but his name is David and that he is a friend. Okay, fine, whatever. You know, they're playing these word games. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not going to spo- focus my attention on that. But the point is, remember this. This is important. 
Eight minutes after that call was placed at 2.31 a.m., that's when San Francisco Police Department Officer Colby Wilms arrives and knocks on the door. So eight minutes, right? Eight minutes between the phone call and the arrival of the, the, uh, the police. All right. So according to the FBI report, the affidavit, when the door was opened, Pelosi and DePapi, they're both holding a hammer with one hand and DePapi had his on the other, whatever. They got two hands on the hammer. Pelosi greeted the officers. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, even in this report that, you know, ah, give me the hand. No, you give me the hand. No, I'm going to kill you. No, the, the police. Over. Greetings, officer. Greetings. Is everything okay? DePapi says, yes, everything's fine. <laughs> I, none of this makes sense. So anyway, so uh, the, Colby Wilms, the officer that showed up on the scene, he interviewed a witness, witness one, who saw an individual in all black carrying a large black bag on his back walking near the Pelosi residence where the witness was parked. Witness one then heard what sounded like banging on either a door or car and then heard the sirens within a minute or two. Remember this, okay? Here we go. Eight minutes. Eight minutes. I feel like I'm, I'm you know, trying to prosecute uh, uh, O.J. Simpson here. Hopefully I do a better job because, you know, he was off the hook. But um, <clears throat> you got eight minutes between the phone call that's placed by Pelosi and the time the cops call. This witness says he hears a banging on either a door or car, and then two minutes, a minute or two later, he hears sirens. So the police are on their way. So apparently Pelosi's unconscious by the way. But then on the way to the hospital, he's apparently alert enough to tell another SFPD officer in the ambulance that DePapi came into Pelosi's bedroom and stated that he wanted to talk to Nancy. Okay, fine. Maybe he woke up from his head trauma, you know, and, and started to explain what was going on. But when Pelosi, so Pelosi, when Pelosi told him that Nancy was not there, talking about DePapi, DePapi stated that he would sit and wait. Pelosi stated his wife wouldn't be there. DePapi reiterated he's going to wait. And P Pelosi was eventually able to go in the, into the bathroom where he called 911. And Pelosi stated that when officers arrived, that was when DePapi struck him with a hammer. So I want to be clear about something, too. In this eight minutes, right, he hasn't been struck with a hammer. There's been no physical assault going on. So in the eight minutes, it's like the mystery eight minutes. What happened in those eight minutes? Suddenly the police arrive, and that's when finally he takes his shot. Gets the hammer away, hits him in the head. Uh, and notice in the report as well, DePapi, um, he started taking out, well, they, they write twist ties from his pocket so that he could re restrain Pelosi. Now, I'm very curious about the hammer. Can I ask about the hammer? So he used the hammer apparently to break into the house, whatever. Uh, I don't know, maybe he brought the hammer upstairs with him, but you know, if he's pulling out these, these zip ties or twist ties as this, uh, agent is referring to them to out of his pockets, I don't know, does the hammer go on the ground? I mean, wh where's the hammer right now? I want to know where the hammer is and I, and I want these eight minutes tracked and traced. So they're talking to each other and that's when Pelosi went into, uh, you know, the bathroom and called 911. Now, I don't know where the cell phone came from. Did he pick it up off the dresser? I mean, can we ask these questions too? Was there a phone in the bathroom? Suddenly he's got a phone. He makes the 911 call. And um, 
so look, they're talking. At some point, Pelosi tried to leave the room, and then DePoppy got in his way, and they go back in, and then he goes in the bathroom, and he makes the 911 call. And then some, somehow in this eight minutes, they decide to work their way downstairs where they find themselves standing just in front of the front door. So just explain something to me. So, so Paul Pelosi, all right, if there's not a third person to open the door, Paul Pelosi is arguing with DePapi right in front of the door, right? So he can reach and open the door, right? I mean, is that, am I making this up? They're, they're squabbling over the hammer. Pelosi's the one who opens the door. Hello, greetings, officer. No, yeah, I'm in my underwear, whatever. Perfect timing, is it not? The cop just shows up just then, just then. Perfect timing. Hi, cop. Boom, hitting the head. And mind you, they've been having a particularly calm conversation throughout the night. There hasn't been any physical force so far. Um, all right. So we know this doesn't smell right. The left knows this doesn't smell right. The media knows this doesn't smell right. And they're trying to make this go away by calling anyone who asks these questions a conspiracy theorist. Now, me asking about the third person, they say, well, oh, Drew, you're a conspiracy theorist, except I didn't put that out there. The San Francisco Police Department chief put that out there and the media put it out there until they decided to change the narrative. We are seeing a creation of a narrative after an event, a cleaning up, a massaging, call it laundering, if you will. All right. You know what? Uh, I want to uh, get that photo one queued up, Captain. Uh, you know, if you're list, if you're just listening, you're not watching, you can't see. But I, I, I'm bringing up a photo of the glass that's broken at the uh, Pelosi home. Um, so I, I, I just go ahead and bring it up, and I'll describe it. I mean, look, I mean, th- it, this is a huge piece of glass. I mean, I don't these 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 uh, doors to the house. They look like they're eight feet tall at least. You know, I mean. Uh, there's a, a two panel basically piece. I mean, this it's, it's a five, four, five foot piece of glass. It's just totally shattered. And you can look at this glass, by the way, and it's reinforced. I mean, it, it the way it's broken, the way it's hanging. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not the, you know, easiest glass in the world to break. So go ahead and take that down. Thanks, captain. So look, remember in this affidavit, the FBI agent says that, you know, this witness told them or had told the cop that he heard the sirens within a minute or two of this phone call. All right. Uh, and or sorry, he heard the sirens within a minute or two of of hearing this knocking. All right. Are, are you tracking with me here? This seems to contradict the narrative, right? So he heard sirens within a minute or two of hearing what I believe would be the breaking of the glass or the attempt, the banging of the hammer on the door. But it took eight minutes for police to get there, right? After the phone call was made. So if he's trying to break into the house, And he hears police sirens, you know, two minutes after the bang. I mean, can we ask these questions? So what did the security guard hear? 
All right, so uh, cue up cut one. I'm going to do two of these. I just want you to hear. So this is a woman trying to break into her car. Break into her car. I know, I know we're doing the, the O.J. Simpson trial here, but I think it's important because, you know, no one else in the media is doing this, and this is what journalists should be doing. So cue up cut, cut one. You know, if you're watching, you'll see it. Otherwise, you'll hear the audio. But this is, like I said, this is a woman trying to break into her car window. Go ahead and uh, play cut one. Everybody want to take a shot real quick? Oh, sure. Okay. I go first, all right? Nice. Yeah, right? Make sure you get in the spot. Ooh. Oh. 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 Okay. okay. All right. Chill. Chill. Nick. All right. So you heard that, right? Doesn't that sound like something he might have heard if you take a hammer to a, a, a you know, a heavy-duty window like that? You hear a banging and knocking. I mean, what else did he hear? What else did he hear? And also, what kind of private security guard is guarding a nearby home and doesn't think to do anything? Oh, I, he didn't think to go look where that sound was? I mean, what? I mean, maybe he's one of these millennials. Maybe he's lazy. Maybe he's not, you know, I, I don't know. People aren't good at their jobs these days. They don't take it seriously. I get it. Now, cue up cut two. This is a house window. Not the same glass at the Pelosi house. <clears throat> but I want you to hear this guy. He's literally going to break a, a glass window. So uh, go ahead and play cue up. Uh, cut two and then play cut two. If you're listening, just glass breaking. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use a hammer to bust the window. A hammer on a pole. All right, so you heard it, right? I'm just want—I want to point out the obvious. I mean, this is insane to me. I mean, you've got a security guard there. He says he—he he hears this knocking. Two minutes later, there's sirens coming. When is he in the house? When did he get in the house? Show me the security footage. Let's clear out, clear up this timeline because right now they're just making stuff up. And of course, this FBI testimony after the fact. I mean, it's just—I mean, it's perfect. It's in sync exactly with what Pelosi's saying. It's like they got him in a room. It's like, okay, what happened here? Let's let's get the facts straight, you know? Let's make sure everything fits this narrative we're trying to tell. But again, I just want transparency. You know, and the timing's perfect with the, with the midterms coming up and all that because they're getting shellacked to the polls and this kind of, you know, it's a way to fit their narrative to distract. So, um you know, Biden came out immediately, of course, and they're weaponizing this against the right. And Biden gave a speech right away. Of course, this is what they do. He said, you know, it's reported that the same chant was used by this guy they have in custody that was used on January 6th in the attack on the U.S. cat. These people are obsessed, obsessed because he where is Nancy? Where's Nancy? So they're tying this to January 6th. This has nothing to do with January 6th, nothing to do with Donald Trump, but they cannot help themselves. And it's getting nonstop coverage. And it, honestly, it has me fit to be tied because, look, you know, Nicholas Roski or whatever his name was, right? He's the California guy who traveled to Maryland trying to assassinate, um, you know, Justice Kavanaugh and his entire family. Same kind of situation. The FBI is saying this guy, uh, DePoppy, they found in his bag, you know, these zip ties. They found duct tape. They found a hammer. He had a hammer. 
Okay, well, this guy was on his way with a gun, with a knife, with rope. And prosecutors said he traveled to Kavanaugh's home with a pistol, extra ammunition, a tactical knife, and other gear. He'd looked up terms like most effective place to stab someone, quietest semi-auto rifle. In an online conversation, this guy who tried to kill Kavanaugh, <clears throat> two dead judges ain't going to do nothing. You would die before you killed them all. You know how much time MSNBC spent covering the story of Kavanaugh? 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Joe Scarbo didn't cover it. The morning show, way too early, didn't cover it. Cue up cut six. Cue up cut six. This is MSNBC's coverage of Kavanaugh. This is it. I want you to hear how this compares, right? This is all they could spare, right? So a, a, a Supreme Court justice, somebody try, is, is, you know, uh, arrested en route to kill his entire family. And this is the reaction by the media to that incident. Go ahead and play cut six. We have breaking news right, right now. Let's go to Pete Williams. Pete, what is it? Jose, uh, we've been uh, told by several law enforcement officials that a man was arrested overnight near the home of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. He was armed with a gun, a knife, and pepper spray and told authorities that he was there to kill the justice. Now, he was not arrested at the home of the justice. He is arrested nearby. We hope to have more details on this uh, shortly, Jose, but to repeat, a man was arrested this morning. We're told it was about b between 1 and 1.30 this morning after arriving in a taxi near the home of uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, armed with weapons and saying he wanted to kill the justice. Jose? P. Williams, thank you so very much. And so we don't really know, uh, and I, I know this is breaking news, and there's no one who does this better than you, uh, but uh, I just want to know, so he was arrested with a gun and pepper spray. And a knife, yes. And a knife. Pete Williams, thank you so very much. Let's go back now to Capitol Hill with the testimony that is underway right now. So did you, did you catch that? Here's the breaking news. This guy on the air learns that Kavanaugh, somebody tried to assassinate him, was caught with, with all this stuff. And his question, his follow-up question is, so, uh, Pete, uh, so so he had a gun and, and pepper spray? No, a, a gun and a knife and pepper spray. Uh, um, oh, okay, okay, great. Now, all right, moving on now. They didn't care at all. They don't care at all. I, I, I just, I want you to see your media as much as I can, every time I can. It's important because they are the most dangerous threat to America. And um, now cue up cut seven. I want to play the Paul Pelosi coverage. You know, I'll let it go for a little while, Captain, and then I might cut it off. You'll, we'll, we'll see here. But, um, you know, because I want to make a point here. I want to drive this home. This is how they responded to Paul Pelosi. So, you know, um, they, they didn't even cover Kaylor Ellingson. But let me make this point first. Kaylor Ellingson was the 18-year-old kid in North Dakota who was murdered by a Democrat, uh, Shannon Brant, a man who ran over Ellingson in his SUV because simply he had a argument, civil argument in the street or something like that with the kid. And he believed that the kid was a, a MAGA extremist. So on that ground and justification, he murdered him with his SUV. Look that up. Try and find the mainstream media even touch the story. They didn't report on it. All right, let's do cut seven. Paul Pelosi coverage. Go. It's press now. I'm Chuck Todd. So with 11 days to go until Election Day, we would have loved to begin our show with the state of the race. Who's campaigning where? Which races are tightening? And how will these final days of the campaign play out? 
but that's not our lead story. Instead, we begin with the violent assault at the home of the most powerful member of Congress. The main hurdle right now is when we have so many people um, putting out misinformation, quite frankly, into the public. This didn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, and if anybody wants to pretend to be shocked that this happened, they've been living in a hole. There's a long history of gaslighting and toxic politics regarding Speaker Pelosi. Republicans see her as public enemy number one. It's not random. It's not about blue state crime, nor is it an isolated act. It is the event that, along with January 6th, solidifies and cements a new era of political violence, an era normalized, justified, and created by rhetoric so violent and so hateful that brutality is the natural endpoint. Yep, yep. Republican rhetoric, you know, it's so violent. The natural endpoint, uh, obviously, is this attempted murder. Um, and the Democratic Party, I mean, look, we need to look to their example. Um, I do believe it's important. The Democrats can show us the way. We need to be like the Democrats, right? We need to speak like them. We need to talk about the American people like them because they do not use violent rhetoric. They urge peace. They, 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 they preach love and acceptance. So go ahead and cue up cut five, uh, Captain. You know, after this, uh, this episode with Paul Pelosi, you know, one of the things Biden also said, he tied it to January 6th, and then he said that it was despicable. He said there's no place in America for it. He said there's too much violence, political violence, too much hatred, too much vitriol. Well, I agree. You know, I think that that vitriol certainly got a Republican 18-year-old murdered. I think it got Kavanaugh targeted. Um, you know, we had a BLM, you know, uh, uh, you know, member, if you will, supporter who uh, ran over a bunch of innocent children and, and parents in Waukesha in the parade. I mean, we had BLM riots, you know, the summer of love. Um, there's love all over the place from Democrats. So go ahead and play cut five. This is the Democrats' peaceful rhetoric. This is what they're talking about. Joe Biden says there's too much violence, political violence, too much hatred, too much vitriol. So here's the Democrats teaching us how to speak. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take you behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody 
from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station. You get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. Okay, so I just wanted to give you a clip. Now, that's not even updated, right? I mean, in the sense that that was all related to 2020, essentially. Uh, that was the summer of love. You know, uh, that that's not anything recent. And we didn't hear too much from Biden there. You know, we heard a little clip from him. But now I want to queue up uh, cut three, because this is Biden more recently. This is Biden actually just a week or two before Kaylor Ellingson was murdered for being a Republican. All right. So, um, you know, uh, Trump is, of course, to blame for this uh, nudist, illegal immigrant uh, who came here from Canada and never went back, um, you know, hitting Paul Pelosi with a hammer. Uh, you know, Trump's responsible for that. But uh, but this is Biden um, uh, speaking about, you know, MAGA uh, when he looked like uh, wh wh how do we how do we, you know, Palpatine there in front of the um, in Philadelphia before Independence Hall lit up like some Star Wars villain. All right, go ahead and play cut three. This is Biden. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology, but there's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards. Backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. They promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, to the pursuit of justice. Okay, so so you heard Biden there, right? Speaking of love, you know, he just loves his countrymen. Uh, no vitriol, no hatred there at all, of course. You know, uh, that's Joe Biden for you. Just a, a, a lovable person. Um, you know, and it's it's so funny. He talks about authoritarianism. And I meant to, I meant to get to this earlier, but, you know, we while, while, while I can... Um, you know, Biden is threatening oil and gas companies once again in America. Obviously, you know, he went to Saudi Arabia, begged them to, you know, uh, pump out more more gas and oil, more oil, I should say, to help lower gas prices ahead of the midterms. And they said pound sand. And Biden has uh, from day one attacked our own uh, domestic energy production. He's not only... Um, not permitted them to drill, not permitted them to, um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, he's not, he, well, okay. So for, well, it's, it, I guess my point is, let me put it this way. It's not only that Joe Biden prevented drilling, right? So he's directly involved in prohibiting the production of oil in this country, but he's also indicated to those companies that he wants them to go extinct. So, you know, if you're an oil company and the president of the United States and the Democratic Party are using the EPA, you, they've made it very clear. There's no room in America for fossil fuels in the near future. 2035, California is banning any new sale of gas-powered vehicles. 
So what kind of oil company, even if they could drill for oil, is going to start pumping out oil and increasing supply when they've just been told that in 10 years, in 15 years, we don't want you to exist anymore? But of course, he's also responsible for preventing them from doing so. So now Biden is threatening to raise taxes on domestic oil producers. So he's accusing them of war profiteering. Can you imagine? They're war. <laughs> These oil companies are war profiteering. When, uh, you know, Joe Biden and the Democrats and many rhinos, sadly, and some, you know, just kind of standard Republicans continue to send billions of dollars in American taxpayer money over to this endless war in Ukraine. Gee, I don't know. Who is it that's war profiteering? So he's proposing this uh, windfall tax. Now, he can't do this. It's not constitutional. It, it takes Congress, right? But also, I, I mean, I think he should be impeached on this alone. Another add it to the impeachment list. Um, you know, we're we're deplorables and the Democrats are the impeachables. Let's just put it that way. So Biden says he's ready to force these oil companies to act. He's threatening them. He's threatening them. All right. So he, he's saying, um, I'm going to keep harping on it. These companies talk about me picking on them. They ain't seen nothing yet. I mean it. It outrages me. Outrages me. So he says, invest in America by increasing production and refining capacity on behalf of their consumers, their community, and their country. Well, he's standing in the way of that. He's standing in the way of that. And so now he's threatening to destroy oil. Here's the thing. He's already told oil companies he's going to destroy them. But now, you know, it's like a double whammy. Now he's threatening to destroy oil companies doubly. If they don't do what he demands, I thought this was like a quid pro quo kind of situation. Isn't this what they impeached Donald Trump over? Hey, uh, Zelensky, um, you know, I've heard some things about this Burisma stuff and this prosecutor, you know, Joe Biden's bragging about how he got him fired and was going to take money. Can you look into what happened? You know, is there something I should I should know about corruption over there? Can you look into that for me? Oh, we got to impeach him, impeach him. So here's Biden publicly saying, uh, you know, if you oil companies don't do what I say, if you don't pump out more oil in violation of me prohibiting it, hell to pay for you. I'm going to punish you. I actually, I think that Joe Biden is so stupid. I really do. That he actually doesn't even understand uh, the complexity. He, 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 he's so far gone I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not giving Democrats a pass. They know what they're doing. I mean, they're ideologues. They want to destroy the country. They want to destroy the energy sector. They want to force us onto this, you know, magical, non-existent, you know, wind, wind-driven, you know, electricity. Um, but I don't think he understands. I, I think that's, he's just, he, he says the talking points. I, I mean, I, I, and they must think we're stupid. This is the thing. I mean, the Democrats hate Americans. They hate you. They hate me. They, they think they're smarter than us. They're better than us. We just need to do what they tell us. They can bully us. And then they have the audacity to accuse us of being the bullies to go for full circle, right? And now he's mad because, you know, this energy stuff is costing them politically. Um, so, okay, I, I got to get to this. This, was, this is what I led with, and I can't let you down. This, is, this was the... This was the thing that no one's talking about that you're going to hear from Drew Allen first. So Drew Allen exclusive. The affidavit. The FBI agent who, who put this together, her name is Stephanie Miner. 
Stephanie Miner. She was the same agent who signed an affidavit in January 2021, which accused Ian Benjamin Rogers, who was a 44-year-old. <clears throat> he was found in possession of five pipe bombs and a bunch of uh, firearms. He had a copy of the Anarchist Cookbook. And so anyway, they, they, they accused him of, of plotting a, uh, uh, an attack somewhere here in California on the Capitol or so on and so forth. Okay, fine. She's investigating that guy. Now, this special agent, Stephanie Miner, um, she also, well, uh, actually, let me backtrack. One of the things Rogers had on his uh, vehicle, it was a, it was a three per percenter uh, sticker, right? The three percenters, by the way, you know, they're, they're supposedly a paramilitary group. The, the FBI says they ascribe to extreme anti-government pro-gun beliefs. But, you know, actually 3% refers to uh, the belief that only 3% of the American colonists fought against the British during the American Revolution. All right. So, you know, many acts and current servicemen and police officers are actually members of this anti-establishment group. It was founded in 2008 when Barack Obama was president. So anyway, so that's a case she's dealing with, three percenters. So then she goes to Sol Solano County, and um, she signs off on this other affidavit. And she accuses these, uh, these two sergeants and a deputy in the police force there of being these domestic terrorists for having stickers of the three percenters. Now, they had no conduct to back that, that allegation up. It was just the three percenter. So she tracks these people down. So the Solano County Sheriff, Tom Ferrara, he said he didn't plan to investigate potential far-right extremism within his own police force. But there were calls to do so because of the FBI, because several deputies, you know, were three percenters. And so... Um, the FBI, you know, it's like the proud, but whatever these people, we don't even know what these things are. But in this affidavit, FBI Special Agent Stephanie Miner wrote of the emblem, I know from my training and experience and my discussions with other agents experienced in domestic terrorism investigations that this sticker is commonly used by so-called three percenters, people who ascribe to extreme anti-government pro-gun beliefs. So these people had stickers that they say, oh, this makes you a domestic terrorist, and she went after them. These cops did nothing wrong. My point is, Stephanie Miner, who's been investigating, trying to find evidence, put together evidence of this far-right extremism, she's the same person who put together this affidavit in the Paul, Paul Pelosi attack. And so this is the bombshell. The FBI, the FBI essentially exists They've been giving their marching orders. She is one of many agents who's tasked with going around the country and trying to build cases that show that there's some threat of far-right extremism. Now, where are the investigations into the left, into the people that are firebombing pro-life centers? We still don't know about Ray Epps. We're told to shut up about that. He, of course, was the man on you know, January 6th who was loudly telling people to go and storm the Capitol. But he's off the hook. We have a problem in this country. We have a problem. It's the vertical integration of the Democratic Party, okay? They, they have in, infiltrated everything, and we have to clean house. The midterms are, are the first course of action, and then we'll continue talking about how we're going to move forward from there. All right, this is Drew Allen, your Millennial Minister of Truth.
God bless you all. And until next time. Talk to my friend Drew. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. Has Drew Allen. Conservative. I look to this guy for wisdom.